0: No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, what's up everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music
1: welcome to the punk rock mba podcast what's up everybody i am finn mckenty this is the punk rock mba podcast today's guest is a very good friend of mine and somebody i admire very much mary zimmer you may know her from her youtube channel called voice hacks where she does a lot of like reactions from the point of view of a vocal coach a lot of tutorials on singing because that's what she does she is a singer and vocal coach But she's had a very interesting pathway to get there that I think a lot of you will appreciate. She, for a while, went to school for engineering. She never thought about being a YouTuber, but here she is, she has, I think, 80,000 subscribers or something like that, that all drives business to what is her actual, like, quote, unquote, day job. She's a vocal coach that does Skype lessons every day to students all over the world. But she's changed to career directions several times and that's the part that i really thought was interesting not because she is like a dilettante or a dabbler that changes her mind but because she is a very driven person who multiple times has kind of set out this goal of like i want to be in a band and get signed oh i got in a band that was signed to century media turns out i don't want that I actually want to be an engineer. So she did that and then was like, all right, I don't want that. Maybe I should be a vocal coach after all, which is what she's doing now. So I know a lot of us have had these kind of winding pathways in our career and I wanted to unpack exactly how she's done it because she's just managed it brilliantly and she's very good at explaining it. Before I get into that, I wanted to mention a couple things. Number one, if you wanna support the show, there's a couple ways you can do that through merch. We've got a bunch of that, including some new stuff that I think is pretty cool. There's a link to that in the show notes number two if you really like the show you can support us on patreon patrons get every podcast a week early there's also a chance for me to review your band your podcast graphic design or photography portfolio anything like that that you might want to get my feedback on that sounds cool there's a link to that in the show notes i also want to thank deanna chapman our producer who makes this all happen if you want to start or grow a podcast she's the person to talk to there's a link to her website in the show notes And with that out of the way, let's get into the show. Good afternoon, Mary Zimmer. Welcome to the show.
2: Before we start, my first question for you is how can I get a cool podcast voice?
3: (laughs) See, it sounds like so unnatural already. when what are you you're talking try- about? When you
2: when you fake it like that. <laughs> but, it so- but it sounds cool. It sounds like I'm a professional.
3: Oh, man. Well, that's the thing is, I think actually with the podcast realm, sounding like yourself is actually the best thing, to be honest. Um I think if you try to have someone else's voice, you actually do not sound right. Or maybe I should be like Ira Glass and like, Uh, Mary, thank you so much for
2: joining us here on the show.
3: (laughs) It's like the NPR filter. Is there an NPR (laughs) plug-in filter? If if there isn't,
2: then uh, we just came up with a business.
3: Yeah. So for anybody
2: who is not familiar, uh, what exactly do you do?
3: Okay, well, I teach people to make weird noises. No, um, I yes, but I literally do that. It's very odd, I know, but I'm a vocal. I'm having a really hard time talking about that today. Could be a I'm a yeah, I don't know. I'm a vocal instructor, but I specialize in what I would call extreme phonations, but I'm also a vocal instructor who has sort of become sort of a content creator as a result of just you kind of have to be Mm -hmm. if you're a musician or some kind of person with an online business, I think. What does
2: extreme phonations mean? I don't know that word.
3: I would say weird noises or in the words of Brick Tamlin, uh, (laughs) (laughs) loud noises. So like screaming
2: uh, or what other kinds of vocals? Like tell me genres.
3: So yeah. So like for music genres, it would be like anything from... Actually, all the way from like blues, things that would have like raspy singing all the way up to like punk to hardcore to the most extreme sounds where we're getting into the death metal, death core, you know, uh, where people are doing harsh vocals the entire song. Um, what to the ordinary person, just in general, all those things just sound like screaming. Yeah, so, it's all screaming. I would just I mean. say screaming. Yeah. yeah.
2: OK. Right. So what's interesting uh, to me about you is that uh, you know? Now that I have known you for a while, in general, uh, I'm I'm not a fan of people who are dabblers. But you are someone who has done a lot of different things. But I wouldn't say that you're a dabbler. I would say that you're more like one of those people that's like, I want to do this thing, and then you do it, and then you're like, hmm, okay, maybe that's not actually what I wanted. Let me adjust course, which to me is fundamentally different than dabbling. Those are people who kind of half-ass it and fail, and then go on to half-ass another thing. Can you kind of give us your brief life story <laughs> in a couple minutes? Because I think it's it's actually pretty interesting and unexpected.
3: And so when you're saying that I've tried different things, I'm just trying to get the context to tell the story around the context. Yeah, well,
2: you went to school for uh, something completely unrelated to music you were in a band you know you've kind of changed course a few times
3: okay okay yes I get that because also if I talk exclusively about music I kind of have done that too so that's why I was trying to get a context for that thank you so yeah yeah we've talked about that before now I see where you're going and yeah definitely I grew up in a military family so I I lived a few different places in the country and had a really different lifestyle to begin with I guess that kind of sets you up for being open to trying things I guess because you kind of used to that.
2: You're used to starting over. That's a good point.
3: I think that is actually where some of it comes from. And so then um, I started doing, I went to college for music right out of high school because um, I went to like a college preparatory, like I went to a Catholic school. <laughs> and so you see what happens to all of us who go to Catholic school. Right. We just play heavy metal and do all the opposite things anyway. So, I did have a really good education. So, thankfully, I was fortunate enough. And so, I went to college right away. And I also had a really good education at the University of Wisconsin system. And um, I uh, learned about, you know, classical singing and all the things, technical vocal stuff. And I was starting to coach vocals like already when I was just beginning to learn that stuff at like 18 or whatever. And then in college, I also discovered, you know, extreme music like heavy metal and things like harsh vocals and stuff. And that really kind of made me like decide to totally change course. I wasn't that interested in opera singing all of a sudden and started joining bands and doing all that stuff. And then I had a band that came out of college and we did pretty well and we got signed to Century Media and, um... That was great, except for there was a lot of internal problems in the band. And what, what was we, the band,
2: for anybody who might be familiar? With it? Oh,
3: yeah. Sorry. Yeah, of course. It, it was called Luna Mortis. And what genre would you describe that? Definitely. People still call it power metal. But actually, if I listen to it by like European power metal standards, it's really more a new wave of American heavy metal. Definitely. We were really it's like 50 percent harsh vocals and I wasn't doing any like high vocals, really. Uh, is produced by Jason Sukoff. I mean, we were definitely going like the Trivium route at the time, you know, of what people were doing a decade ago. The What All That Remains sounded like a decade ago right. was what we wanted to be, and Trivium sounded like a decade ago. And all their sounds have evolved, not, uh, not bad or anything, just yeah. their sound 10 years ago is different than it is now.
2: The first thing you did, like, you did something that a lot of people never pull off. You joined a band and got signed to, especially at that time, like I would say one of the top labels in metal.
3: Oh, yeah. And it was a crazy experience too. That whole experience was also insane because we were getting looked at by all the labels. So I went through like a really huge, like, label shopping period. We worked with Roadrunner for a considerable amount of time before they ultimately passed. Um, it's very complicated. And uh, we showcased for victory. We had interest from like everybody. And so, like, I've done all this weird stuff just in that one thing mm-hmm. you know just getting signed once to a thing the first time is really tough It's just crazy you know so so you pulled that off yeah so we did that and then um afterwards i was like well, screw music i'm quitting and i actually because actually around the time when the band got dropped from century media and we kind of imploded and everything it was around like 2010 and, and it seemed at that time the apparent like the, the transition into what is i think amazing the streaming era was not fully complete spotify was in its infancy and so like it was not apparent. It kind of looked like the music industry was collapsing at yeah. that time. And, and in fact, we didn't realize it was like actually growing into the best thing ever.
2: But at that time, like 2010 to 2013 or so, it was not looking good.
3: It was very hard to discern that, to be honest. And all the contracts were reflective of that. It was really strange. So I was convinced that I need to go into a growing field and not a collapsing field. So like I completely ditched music for a minute and I went into technical school, like engineering, technical type of college for renewable energy. (laughs) Because I I was like, here's a really growing industry. And at that time, it really was. Because it also depends on like who's in charge and what the tariffs on things are. Yeah, like when they pulled
2: all the subsidies that Obama set up that I think caused a lot of problems from what I understand.
3: Right. So that industry is kind of in flux because of that. And that's a whole nother thing. So I actually finished my degrees in that and got... Multiple degrees in that area.
2: So there's there, you've posted these a couple times, like, pictures of you and God knows where, like, working on these, like, giant wind turbines and shit.
3: Well, yeah, yeah definitely God knows where. This is, like, the northern Wisconsin in the middle of uh, nowhere. I had to go to school in, in a very isolated area. Part of central Wisconsin uh because they were the only place doing this renewable energy stuff within like actually within like a couple thousand miles. Really? Like, yeah, like within like fifteen hundred miles. So it it was convenient enough that I only had to go like three hours from where I was living. What I'm telling you, living up there it was like rough. I was doing the sustainable living thing. I had like an acre garden. I was like canning, but I was like ah, uh, living out in the middle of the country. This town where this, uh, school was has maybe 15,000 people in town. And, um, I mean, it was tough, man. It's a hard life. We'd be out there and people up in the North, in Denort, you know, they're really hardcore. <laughs> like we'd be, we'd be like, okay, we're going to work on solar panels today because it's only 30 degrees today, which means it's, it's like dealable. And you're going to put on, I had like full car hearts, like the whole deal, you know? Um, so yeah, we were learning a lot of. Um, Small wind installation, and and my one of my specialties was renewable thermal energy, um, which of course up there is very applicable. The thing about Wisconsin oh, I didn't know is that. well, it's cold because it's in the polar vortex, but oh. latitude wise, like sun wise, it's way south of countries that waste us on solar power, like Germany, uh-huh. for example, which latitude wise gets far less sun. Wisconsin's actually latitude wise on the. Like more like Spain, I think. And so um, the polar vortex does keep the cloud cover, but you actually can collect a surprising amount of solar energy uh, even at very high latitudes and even in, in uh, significant cloud cover. So, so you
2: came for the screams on this podcast and you learned something and you got about renewable renewables.
3: energy. <laughs> Sorry to deviate. But no, no, I love it. Okay. I,
2: I find that stuff fascinating.
3: But yeah, then after that, I actually. It was really strange because I never really fit in in this. It was I learned so much about being like an entrepreneur. I was reading like all these magazines like Fast Company and going to like solar conferences. And so I actually learned a lot of like being like young and like how to be like professional in a business like outside of music because it's not it's kind of hard to learn that. Although you need a lot of those things. In well, music. Professional
2: in music just means something very different than it would in the real world
3: yeah, and and the thing though is is I was way too much for all of these people. They, they were all like science and engineer people and um, like someone like me with a big musician personality, I was always like weirding people out. I was just like way too big of a personality and it got me some cool opportunities uh, and I got to do some stuff, cool stuff when I was there but at the same time, I just like knew that this was not going to be the permanent fit for me and then it, the irony was about 2013, I had while I was still in the solar school, I had started teaching Skype lessons. I'd moved all my lessons to Skype because I was in the middle of nowhere. I, I kept saying like I had the upload speeds of the Amish, but literally like the traffic by my house was Amish. Like you could sit on the porch and like wait for the cart to come by. Like it was hilarious. Did you ever
2: it catch was... anybody cheating and like using zippers?
3: <laughs> like you
2: motherfucker. Like,
3: Is that a phone? Does he have a cell phone? Yeah. No, like <laughs>
2: They're not even allowed to use zippers or buttons.
3: Uh, yeah, there like, are things. Yeah. It's crazy. It's a wildlife. I'm gonna, and I living... would call
2: that guy out. I would post, you know, you can't do Facebook call outs of Amish people. You'd have to like <laughs> post a flyer on like the town square job board or whatever. Like I saw a Yoder. Ezekiel, uh, yeah, Ezekiel with... <laughs> Yoder using a button on Tuesday.
3: Dude, it was crazy because yeah, they like people would come visit me and they'd be like Amish people do not just drive by your house in a cart. I was like, Literally hours will go, out, go by and not a single car will go by. But we'll hear clip, 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 clip. And then here it comes the black cart, you know.
2: So you were doing the in-person lessons before and out of necessity, you moved mm-hmm. to Skype. Not because yeah, you be- were like, oh, I'm going to do Skype lessons forever now. It's just like, well, if I want to teach, I have to do it on Skype.
3: Yeah, no one lives in Wisconsin Rapids. And I was actually living in a teeny tiny Sound outside of that and that was like virtually unincorporated like it wasn't gonna happen There's no in-person stuff and I was trying to you know pay the bills in the second degrees type of thing yeah, and so Um, yeah, so I did that the crazy part is around that time. I got a few weird musical opportunities I got cast for mtv's made, uh, which was really strange yeah, that was really strange. I did that in 2013. I even had to, like, leave solar school, like, a week early the year I graduated to do that. And what was that one called again? It had some really funny names. Oh, it was called the Screamo Rocker episode. <laughs> That's right. I want to be a Screamo Rocker. Relatable uh, to the, the young people. Yeah. The crazy part, though, is the production staff on the episode of Made was significantly young. They were, like, in their m- mid to like the older producers were like 25 and the younger staff were like 1920 tw- it was You're amazing like, how are you so
2: young yet so out of touch
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like they had these very like advanced like producer roles but right yet yeah, yet yeah, like it would come out like very cheesy like that i think because like normal people even young people what i call like normies people yeah. who don't listen to all this heavy music like us they are they really don't know and right. most of made is like i want to be made into a prong a, queen Yeah, like very, very mainstream type of concepts that most people are familiar with. Even the athletic concepts, I would say most people are familiar with more than the music ones. So we were the weird one, the screamo, plus the screaming thing. The thing most people don't realize is like that is still really out of relatability to most people, um, harsh vocals and stuff. So So, so when
2: did you sort of realize that teaching voice online was going to be your thing?
3: I think it was around like, the time I did made because, well, it was like, I finished college. I finished that second degree, and I realized like that I wasn't really doing that well in it or anything as far as like, I just felt like I didn't fit there. I don't know how to explain it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, you know what? I should just try to make something of this. And that's actually when I wanted to start creating voice hacks videos but i hadn't quite locked on the idea of being like a youtuber mm-hmm. i was trying to do it like through a site so then i spent like a couple of years um uh, part of it was too i had a new band come around at that same exact time that i did made um i got a message from this guy that i ended up being in a band with his name is paul allender and he was in cradle of Films for like 20 years, and um, he messaged me. Actually, invited me originally to do a tour with Cradle of Filth, like on the keyboards and the vocals. And I was like, uh, I have to graduate from this school, and it's going to set me back like a whole year. And so I actually was like, no. <laughs> and I introduced I got some him to windmills to babysit. Yeah, and I introduced him to Lindsay, who's actually still the current keyboard player vocalist of Cradle. And then Paul had quit that band. I had said, but if you ever have anything else, you know, um, just let me know or whatever. Cause he had actually immigrated to the States and lived in Minneapolis, which was only a few hours from where I was. So he was like, "Uh, actually I have this whole new band. And that ended up being this band that was on Peaceville records that I was in called white Empress for a while. And that was like super black metal kind of, and, and very European and like, like the flesh God type of like strings and all that. And, um so we were doing that right i actually i did kind of didn't we had like a bunch of names in it you know like but
2: you were you were popular in japan for a while
3: yeah yeah in japan we did pretty good but it was really super weird because it didn't have a chance to catch on you know um it, it it the band just didn't live there was like lots of just interpersonal things where it just didn't end up working out unfortunately and 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 that's just how it goes sometimes in music that's the thing is it's hard to find a good group of people and uh so that got me back into music i think though those two things were at the same time and i realized like okay this is where i'm going you know i should be doing the teaching and you know, there just starts to, to be like such an interest in it. And I I'd still at the time had no idea that teaching lessons was what was going to turn me into like a YouTuber, though. Like that was still like way out of my head for a couple years still. So, yeah, that's kind of what it's been. And then now I'm in like a power metal band. Right.
1: So okay.
2: it's just like whatever. So when you when you decided or or I guess realized that teaching online was going to be your thing, how were you getting Clients at that time? Because I think that's the biggest question for probably 99% of people who want to do a thing is like, great. Well, how will I get anybody to hire me?
3: So here's the thing. When I first started teaching, I didn't have a YouTube channel at all, really. Well, maybe I think I had like some, maybe something. I don't think I had anything though, actually. So it was like 2013. So I was using just my previous audience as a vocalist, you know, like on Facebook and stuff that people I had following me from all these other bands and right. stuff. And then also these great services at the time, Thumbtack was a really good service um, where they would help people find stuff. And so I was using Thumbtack for like a while and other services like that where they would help you get the clients, you know, they take a little bit of a cut or whatever, or you pay like a monthly thing or something, but it helped a lot because people could leave reviews, they could explore what they're looking for. And my sister currently does that through a company called LessonFace OK. And so because she doesn't have like a super YouTube either. She has some stuff, but she doesn't do it all the time or whatever. So and it's worked really, really well. So I feel like if you are on to these like kind of third party services that help you get the clients, they're actually very worthwhile and they work really well. And they gave me a good start. And a lot of those people will stay with you long after you're done mm-hmm. using that service, you know, so. I think they're great. When did you realize, like, okay, this is working? I think definitely once I put it to YouTube. I tried to do, like, a website, like a membership site, voicehacks.net, with a whole bunch of videos. Because I was like, well, if I can... I had the general idea of kind of like a, you know, sort of like something where people could not have to go pay for a lesson necessarily. Mm -hmm. And something that could kind of run itself or sustain itself, kind of. And people can, like go go in and, and uh, log in, in the videos anytime they wanted that kind of thing but as you know from being a very big part of URM that is not an easy task at all.
2: No it's not like it's a great it's it's an awesome idea definitely but man maintaining a membership site is not easy. It's not like you're gonna put this up and you know sit back put your feet up and collect the money every month
3: no and I was not prepared for like all the technical things like the just having like access to people's payment type of stuff and the security liabilities and all that stuff like all the tech stuff I was just like wow I am just not prepared for this and I don't know what I'm doing so I did it for like a couple of months and I was just like you know what, I'm going to close it down and I'm just going to put everything on YouTube and I'm just going to try to funnel it into Skype lessons instead and just go back to teaching people individually like that for now because I just didn't know what else to do. And so it was about 2016, I think I started throwing everything up on YouTube and All of a sudden, without doing much, you know, there's like 15,000 subscribers or whatever. And that was pretty cool in a way. But I really wasn't even still thinking in terms of like YouTuber and subs and kind of the way like I think of things now. But it was helping me. To me, it was just a tool, again, without having a third party service to bring me lessons, to bring me business and to like sustain a business, basically. But I was also noticing that I was the only person like I started to know it was going to work when... You know, there's all this this big problem in like the vocal community is terms and knowledge are not standardized. Mm -hmm. And a lot of vocal teachers simply will just get told some stuff in lessons like by some old lady, you know, who's not up to date on the research. Like, unfortunately, that's how a lot of it is. is like really old fashioned classical training that literally hasn't been updated in like 400 years. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's just ridiculous. And then people don't actually go out and do the the research on the studies and the actual knowledge of the mechanics and like all this stuff. If it's good enough for Mozart, it's good enough for me. Right. It's like very outdated to just like say things without actually researching. And so because, you know, at one point in history that you had to, you couldn't really prove you had to have a certain level of science, like observe some of the mechanics that we can look at right now. And so I was one of the only people like actually saying what to do and what it is. And I still am kind of one of the only people. And I don't get that. I don't get that.
2: You know, there's obviously Melissa Cross has been around forever. Is there anybody else, especially like, you know, because voice does like gender does matter in voice uh, or it does make a difference. So that's why I ask about women. But is there anybody? There's like a couple like vocal coach type people on YouTube, but. How many people are there?
3: You know, there's uh, There's a lot of vocal coaches on YouTube, and I put a little quotations maybe around that because there's a lot of people who can sing. Actually, like, mm. just like an athlete, there's always people who can like naturally do something. Mm. They can have a natural skill. And the problem with being naturally gifted actually means you didn't have to go through a lot of training. So sometimes the naturally gifted, when they start teaching lessons, actually have no idea what's going on because they didn't have to study the stuff as hard. And so, and that's just, and it's not their fault or whatever. And they don't realize, you know, and they start a YouTube channel and try coach, but like they have no terms that they can actually tangibly say, or they're, or they're naming the wrong body parts incorrectly. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how much I see that, or people are making a sound and they're saying that they're doing something. This is the problem with the voice. You can't feel a lot of the stuff and you can't see a lot of it with your naked eye. You have to look at research. And so some people will be doing a sound and saying it's a movement that it is not (laughs) and things like that. And they will have it completely wrong because of that. It's not observable with your eyes. So it is very, very hard to find people who know. And then I realized that is what's going to make me stand out, ironically, is knowing the answer. Just having the actual answers for people that you wouldn't think is that hard.
0: No purchase necessary. Void. We're prohibited by
1: law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Hello out there.
1: Yes, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But The Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen.
3: Bruce and street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes.
1: We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder, Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Numbut But The Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road.
0: Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!
1: go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash NBA And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. And so
2: in a way, it seems like you came full circle in that a lot of that classical training you had, that even though you walked away from that as a genre, it seems like that's the big differentiator, is that you understand both Like extreme music and classical vocal technique.
3: Well, the thing is, and I've met a lot of people who studied classical vocal technique that are also full of crap and didn't do their research. I mean, it depends on who you studied with, too. I I was really, really fortunate in college to study with a a woman who had the similar approach, who was like explaining it to us and it was very interesting because and both of these people have passed so it doesn't really matter if i say this because they were like 75 when i when i learned from them and that was 20 years ago you know so they both have passed on unfortunately but they would be like 95 so the two main staff at co- at the college both had an equal degree you know in their field but one studio it seemed like the classical singers were advancing a lot and in the other studio they weren't mm-hmm. and the one teacher would be like well you just don't practice as much as as they do but those people would actually some of them sneak out and take lessons with the other teacher and they would discover that it was actually the technique the the approach and so i was very very fortunate to be placed with the one who had the the technical descriptive ability and stuff so i think if you even if you come from like a classical university background if you don't study with the right person Uh, You'd be surprised how much stuff is slipping through the cracks and these formal backgrounds. And I, I get a lot of formally trained people that come to my lessons that are misinformed or simply uninformed. So it is not only that I had some traditional training, but that I had very, very specifically good education and I was very fortunate. And yes, that is a huge reason I would not be able to understand or even begin to approach the research that I need to look at for this stuff or to understand it or to explain it to the audience. So to me, the the takeaway there is be selective
2: about who you study under. And I mean, study, whether it's formal, like in school or just mentors or whatever, you know, don't just take the first person that comes along, really look at your options and make sure you're choosing the person that's the right fit for you. That's actually going to help you
3: where you actually understand what they're saying. It's not like, okay, well, he hasn't fully explained this, but I think if I do this vocal exercise for like six weeks, maybe I'll get something. If you don't know why you're supposed to be doing that vocal exercise, or what specifically? How it's how is that supposed to translate to what you do on stage? If they're not telling you that, or it's not coming through, like then this person, it's not that they're a bad coach. Like every, all these people are very well intended. Um, it's just that they're not conveying it in a way that you're gonna get anything out of it. And so if that's not happening, yeah, like I said, the people would start sneaking around and seeing the other coach behind. The right. other, in college, it was more complicated because we were kind of like assigned professors and it's like through credits and the enrollment. I mean, in real life, you're free to study with whoever you want. So um, it's a little easier to do that. So I think if you YouTube is great, though, because because most of these serious vocal coaches do have YouTubes and there are some that I think are amazing. There are some that I think are, again, full of crap. And um, if you watch it and you just don't get it, that's probably somebody mm-hmm. if you don't get it in their videos, you're not going to get it in their lessons. and I don't want to put
2: words in your mouth, but I'll tell you my personal opinion is the fact, like, don't choose somebody as a teacher based on how good they are at the thing. Because somebody could be great at, as you talked about, they could be great at their craft, but a shitty teacher, or they could be a great teacher and not that great at their craft. And that doesn't involve, like, if the person is only mediocre at their craft, they're still better than you, and you can still learn a lot from them, And, and, and they can even coach people that are better than them that's so true
3: well i think i'm better than mediocre but <laughs> i have coached people better than me at certain things um definitely and they'll come to me for something else so i've coached people who have like a wider vocal range than me several times you know it doesn't necessarily mean they're better because like that's some of that's physics like yeah. you have to have a chords capable of doing a certain range. But I would argue there are people that are better than clean singers than I am that I've given harsh vocal lessons to and stuff like that. And so, and, you know, as a teacher, too, you can't be afraid of that. I know, like, teachers who only want to coach people that they feel superior to. Um, you can, like, learn from the other person, and I think that's totally absurd. You know, it's plus, too, if someone super skilled is coming to you, then that's good, right? That, that means, like, they, ha- they have respect for you. They're doing it. You know, mm-hmm. why not... You know, and like you said, yeah, there's so many people who are like just naturally good and it's unfortunate because it's it's just like a gift there. There is the people who can just sing and good for them.
2: But that doesn't mean you should learn from them.
3: Yeah, they never had to learn it, though. So they may not be a good teacher for you.
2: So let's talk about content, because like you said, if you want to, you know, be in the line of work that you're in, you kind of do have to be a content creator. And it sounds like you didn't really kind of fully commit to that for a while. What was the light bulb moment where you're like, oh, I need to be a creator as much as a teacher?
3: I think when I really realized that, you know, being in bands and stuff, I need to have a job where it just gets to a point where you get to a certain age where you're like, I need to have this kind of income and this kind of stability in my life. And just kind of wanting to not be a musician that lives in a tour van or whatever, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like actually do some adult things. Cause actually you can be a better musician and, and be a better creator if you have a more stable life, too. It kind of compounds itself. Mm-hmm. A lot of musicians feel like it's more true to be broke. And and I think you and I share a lot of the same opinions of it's not good to be anti-success. And it actually will benefit you more in the things you want to do if you do have some of that success. And so I started to realize, okay, I can really do this. and And just out of necessity, you know, I started, like, going hard on it. And then I started learning from a lot of people, you know, like yourself and um, a lot of the other people we're friends with who've given me tremendous amount of like content creation advice. And it's not easy. Like just, you know, I try to tell everybody I'm not even the most like hard content creator. I mean, the way you get stuff out blows my mind. And just, just today, like this week, I finally set up my lesson schedule to have more content creating time. Right. So I couldn't, because of COVID though, my contact lens prescription didn't come it came like literally three weeks later than usual it's good thing that i have backup glasses because i'm very very nearsighted unfortunately but my problem is is that my backup glasses are like coke bottles and i actually cannot i have very difficult time focusing on the camera lens Uh (laughs) and i thought i was doing it i really thought i was doing it and i started editing i filmed like a just a shitload of stuff, like three, four videos this weekend. And I started editing some of it this morning and I was like, oh dear God, oh dear God. Like how does Stevie T, does he have glasses without, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, how does he do it? Like I, I, that's just, just things like that where you're going to have, times so I have to reshoot all this stuff my contacts finally came and that's great or whatever but the point is is um there are so many things that sneak up you you could be like have a system and have your camera and have your stuff and then like have to completely reshoot everything or whatever it may be you know it's just how it is and you have to just be willing I think a lot of content creators I think even at my level where I'm not there's goals. I still want to get to as far as being a content creator. But I think even at my level, there's things that I have to do that most people aren't willing to do. Like when I was up editing, I was trying to get up at like six in the morning today before lessons. And it was a bummer to realize that I look cross-eyed and that I can't focus my eyes and also the lights reflecting off my glasses. Uh It was a big problem. But at the same time, you know you the the more you do stuff the more there's a lot of people who just throw in the towel right you have to be willing to like stay up till midnight occasionally you have yep. to be willing to you have to be willing to reshoot it and actually admit that to yourself you actually have to be like this isn't good enough I could have been like, oh, let me put this on YouTube, but I'm telling you, like it, it doesn't look right. I'm not yeah. trying to make fun of anybody who maybe has like an ocular impediment or anything. But for me personally, um, it's just a focus thing. If your eyes can't focus, they wander. My audience isn't used to seeing that. It will yeah. look very bizarre to them because I usually wear my contacts. So, and even a collab I did, I had to bust out <laughs> these Scalera lenses I have uh-huh. that are prescription, like the black ones, uh-huh. just to do the collab because I You're couldn't like, see. Why are you have- <laughs>
2: <laughs> your like weirdo goth eyes in
3: yeah i was like hey guys uh because they were trying to get this video done and i was like look my contact lenses are not even going to be here for another week so if you want this video it's going to be creepy contact time that's
2: okay you can just do your motionless and white lesson
3: it was it was like my motionless and white video and so um yeah so that's the thing is you have to be ready for all of life's barriers covid and you just have to keep doing it you just have to the key and i i said this i think when we talked before is just to like not fall off the diet because yeah. you missed a couple of days or because some stuff got in the way. You have to just keep dusting it off and keep getting back up. Some months you're in the groove and your subs are going up yeah. and you're putting out the content. And some months you've got things that happen like that. And it's just you've got to be willing to keep going forward and not stop. That's really it.
2: What were some of the things that you did on YouTube that really that got you the most success?
3: Definitely jumping on the reaction videos hype for sure. That was a really good thing um, because what I saw was a lot of voice teachers doing these reactions and not saying anything. Sometimes I watch some of these reaction channels and I'm like, I can't believe people want to watch this.
2: It was like, whoa, ho- holy crap. Oh my God, dude. Like you want to watch somebody just like blurt out
3: dumb shit. Like, it's so boring, especially when it comes to vocals. And nobody was saying anything about, you know, when people do harsh vocals, all the like opera vocal coaches, people who are unfamiliar with harsh vocals are like, whoa, right? It's a bunch of whoa. Yeah. And they're going to probably ruin their voice. That's what they'll say. Right. Whoa, and this is bad for you. And I was just kind of like, well, that's got to stop, I think. I don't think that's at all correct.
2: Because, I mean, some of these people, you know, like Phil from Whitechapel, he's been doing this for 15 years and he still sounds fine. So clearly it's not going to destroy you.
3: Yeah, those type of deductions are why I started studying harsh vocals at all or even attempting to do them was because even 15, 20 years ago, I would listen to Opeth. They'd already been around 10 years and I would be like, well... You know all these death metal bands that have been around since the early '90s, and black metal bands are still doing it. And you know that you can't do anything for 10 or 15 years, and like not have your voice function properly. It doesn't yeah. work. It doesn't work that way. Um, your voice is extremely delicate. If you do anything to it, you pretty much know immediately. It's, you're not going to be able to proceed for the next decade without right. problems you know, it doesn't work like that so you you know then you could deduce there is some way to do it right and so um i was going on youtube and finally once again giving people the answers they were looking for and also i was catering it to an audience that so, since then, some of the reaction channels have picked up on it because this genre, there's a lot of things to woe at. But the European metal scene, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the symphonic and power metal kids, nobody was talking to them and reacting to their videos. So I also picked up again. That's my audience, you know, and I target it to their niche and to them. And
2: I mean, you you had that video. I don't know, it was maybe a year ago or something like that. Like the three Nightwish singers or whatever and that has like half a million views.
3: People still comment on it every single day, and I cannot, that one is the Avril Lavigne Dead, where I'm Uh like, why do you care? (laughs) But um, people care, I guess, so it surprises me. But I also too have taken, I actually have taken a class or two online and also learned the equivalent of a class you know, advice from people like yourself and some of our other friends who've given me the equivalent of a class information on just I learned in one of my classes on, um, you know, Google keywords and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I've learned how to reword the bios and the titles and mm-hmm. use certain, uh, extensions that help me look at what will the performance of this combination of keywords be on the video. So I've also learned about, about just how to use YouTube as well and how just to do things more intelligently so that people will find your content when they are the people looking for how to scream or whatever. Um, and that did, you know, I had to actively learn that stuff though. It, you know, you've got to go out and look for that information and sometimes buy a class or two and it's worth it if it's the right people teaching you and whatnot. And, um, it, you know, so that t- too, just learning how to operate YouTube and be searchable. And well, you do bring kind of that engineer mindset to
2: this, which I think a lot of people would benefit from.
3: Yeah. You know, I have had a lot of, and again, just being willing to do what other people aren't willing to do. I've had a lot of people say to me, well, what can I do for my YouTube? What can I do for my YouTube? And I'll just give them some basic things. Cause you know how it is. You don't want to half of the time people aren't going to do what you tell them. Half
2: like 99% of the time.
3: Yeah. And, and some of the people I'll look at the content and be say, well, this is actually not that interesting. You know, yeah. part of it is you know you're competing with these other gear channels or whatever and so you know you need to word this in a different way maybe or figure out a way to do it and a lot of people are like no but i like what i do
2: <laughs> all right then then don't change it
3: okay well you just asked me yeah. with xyz amount of subscribers how did i do that and i gave you like a little bit of information that would go a long way and, and you still don't want to do it so <laughs> i, I call those people assholes. holes Yeah, yeah. And that's why you don't end up giving them super lots of information because they're not going to it's a waste of your time, right? You're wasting your breath. My
2: new response to those people who ask a really obvious tactical question is I say, what did you find when you Googled it?
3: That's the thing. That's where I get kind of pissed. I have a lot of people who kind of just want me to tell them everything. But again, some stuff I had to go out and like pay to be in classes, you know? And so I'm like, (laughs) go do that. Like, like that nobody handed me that I had to go do that. So, um, and you can literally go take that same class and do that same thing. But again, the things people aren't willing to do, some people think that's just the staying up late or the reshooting of stuff or the pain in the butt of like, not accepting something and, and redoing it, but it's also actually the pain in the butt of learning what you're doing, and putting some actual effort into it, not just like asking someone expecting that they're going to have some trick that is a miracle that's just going to make your channel blow up or whatever. It's so nuanced and complicated. It has no, you know, it's.
2: So a, a point of advice for anybody who. May reach out to someone asking for help, and I don't mean to be an asshole. Like, oh, how dare you ask me? Like, I want people to ask me questions, but uh, I also want them to understand what you just said, which is there's like nothing that any of us can say it's like go. Oh, here's the magic secret. What what I would suggest doing before you reach out to someone, or when you reach out to them, is say, Hey, I have a question about X. I tried the following four things, and none of them seem to work. Do you have any advice?
3: See, now that is different. Right. And so that's that I appreciate. And I, I and I really yeah, it's it's frustrating. I don't want to sound like a jerk either, because I want to have, you know, my whole reason for even doing all this lessons of is I'm, I help people. I do is help people all day long. And that's sort of my mission is to help people. But at the same time, nobody makes your channel for you. <laughs> you do all of that. You had to do the research. You have to look at all the Keywords and learn about all that stuff and like how you're always posting a lot of your strategies your thumbnail comparisons and you're very transparent about all that stuff and people just aren't willing to do all of that people are like I'm gonna be a youtuber post a video boom everybody there's so much entitlement in the music scene of people just feeling entitled because they're talented and stuff
2: or maybe they're a little less talented than they believe they are is oftentimes the case
3: (laughs) yeah that too and so it's just not that simple. And, and I just, yeah, I really wish people would Google things because, again, you could probably find the same classes. You could probably learn the same information.
2: Yeah, like with YouTube, the all the technical stuff. Have you seen or did I send you the, that uh, YouTube marketing hub thing from Brian Dean? It's free.
3: Oh, yes, I think so. It's yes. amazing.
2: It's free. And, like, I just stumbled upon that, like, Googling shit.
3: Anyone else can find that. That's the thing. We're all on an equal footing here in 2020. And that's kind of why I do get irritated because you're sitting in front of Google just the same as me. So...
2: Right. Like the answer to what is the best time of day to post on Instagram? Google it. There's probably a 100 blog articles about that. And which one is correct? I don't know. Try them and find out.
3: Yeah. Or they could, you know, watch some of your videos where you literally discuss the strategy you know there's people out there literally giving free so much free information that could maximize their channel or do whatever you know but people again they don't want to they don't want to do it it's very strange
2: like like I, i really just don't understand it and like it's it's true i guess it's true everywhere but it seems like it's especially true in music like you know i'm thinking so you know i went to school for business and i'm thinking like when the teacher explained how to do, you know, last in, first out accounting or whatever, there wasn't anyone who raised their hand and was like, well, yeah, but, or, well, how come, like, you just go, okay, that's <laughs> how it's done? All right. Right. Or like yeah. in jujitsu, you get a little bit of that, but it's very quickly answered because, you know, they're like, well, what if I did this? And you go, Well, why don't you try it and find out? So, you know, in jujitsu, you can kind of definitively answer that question. So that's minimized.
3: Yeah. And I and to me, what you're talking about are definitive answers like, okay, so this type of, uh, you know, Chrome extension is going to show you how your search performance is doing or whatever. That's a pretty just like a factual thing. You can enter keywords and remove them and just see how it's going to go. You can change out. You can test your titling. Yeah. And it's it's just I don't know. So, yeah, I think there is this bizarre perception even now even with all this transparency which never used to be there before in the entertainment industry that there is a magic trick or that somebody just likes that person why does everybody just like that guy i mean part of it is is you're making good content or whatever but at the same time um there's people with education and decent content that aren't getting that many views Mm -hmm. because they're not learning about how to do that or how to get seen or they have terrible thumbnails and terrible titles or whatever. And and that's, I just don't get it. Like, I, I don't know. But I'm with you. I, I, I really hope that if you want to learn how to do this stuff, use the internet. It's there <laughs> for you. It will there's, teach you everything you need to know. There's
2: lots of people who, it's it's very strange, like compared to,
3: you know, 15
2: or 20 years ago when the problem for us was like, there's nowhere that's explained how to do this. Now the, now the problem is like everyone is explaining how to do this, but nobody wants to listen. It's such a strange world to live in where you have this abundance of information and people like just don't want it. Um, one of my professors uh, had a, a good line. Education is the only business where people want less for their money.
3: You are so right, though. I cannot believe sometimes I've had conversations with like band bands, like younger bands, up and coming bands where they asked me for something and they argued with me about what I told them to do because they didn't Mm want to feel. Again, it's you got to get out of your comfort zone too. like when I'm telling a band how to promote themselves and they're like but I don't want to do that. And I'm like, well, that's, you said you want to be successful like this band. That's what yeah. they did. I'm telling you what they did. And you're telling me that makes you uncomfortable. So you're not going to have what they have because you're not going to do what they did. So you're literally, so I'm telling you what to do. And you're actually telling me <laughs> that you're not going to do it. All did right. you just complain to me? <laughs> like,
2: what? Well, last thing I wanted to ask you about, especially because now that I've been doing, some coaching, you know, my calls are like 90 minutes long. And some days I have three of them. I have learned that that's too much. But you know, it's happened sometimes. How in the world do you get everything done? Like, tell me about time management. Like, how many lessons are you doing on a typical day? Like, tell me about that.
3: Okay, so yes, I'm constantly learning on that field too, on time management, because I've had different needs at different times and different. So At the time when I started to automate, now I have, so as I keep going through the lessons, I keep trying to do things to be more of a content creator and have more automated tasks in my entire life Mm -hmm. as well as my business. And that keeps growing and changing. And I think now I'm getting to a nice spot. But at first, when I started automating my lessons, I didn't have as many clients. So I have my lessons automated through a booking portal, and everybody can just book their own time Is this and then like even see me or something like that. Yeah, it's a service called Simply Book. Okay. And so, yeah, like hair salons use it, lots of stuff use it. But what's cool for me is people can view their own times in their international time zone. Mm -hmm. So literally, if they have the link to the portal, I don't have to be involved. I used to have to do hours and hours of emails and are you in this time zone and this and it it was like crazy. So that cut down my time automating that stuff. But then at first I was like, I need to have lessons on all these days to give people options. Well, then I'm giving between five and seven lessons in a day, five days a week and they're hour-long lessons you know so it's getting to a point where and i have to set them up with breaks in between or i'll lose my voice Mm -hmm. but the breaks aren't long enough for you to accomplish a lot much besides emails you know and just like rest your voice and then you're on to the next one and plus the breaks and plus the lessons it's like an eight hour work day there every day and so i started realizing okay I cannot give people this many I thought if I reduce if I did it did if I didn't have the, because lessons is my entire income basically mm-hmm. I have very little YouTube revenue because the advertising desire for that kind of channel that I have is not that strong yeah. advertisers it's kind of a weird market right So it doesn't have a lot of advertising dollar. Every once in a while, I'll get like a little sponsorship where I'll do a little commercial like or something, but that's it. It's very, it's not very common. So that's a very, doesn't have any bearing on my income really. So I kept thinking I would lose money if I didn't have all these days, but I was like, there's no, I would keep like getting behind in content. Plus I'm in a band. Plus I tour sometimes. Well, pre COVID I toured. And so what I started doing was, I started realizing that I need to have more lessons on fewer days. Um, And that was just going to have to be how it is. So initially, I moved that slowly. Um, So I started by, you know, freeing up one more day during the week. Because you also have to get, you know uh things like get groceries which i just learned about grocery delivery oh, yeah. so i cut that out of my life cuz honestly errands and things are like a big annoying thing to me yeah and so i'm trying to cut that out but you know you still have to do your life stuff you have to do your laundry you have to do all this stuff and so i cut out another day and then now i cut out another day and i just started looking at my booking portal thankfully all that digital information let me realize like Actually, not very many people are signing up for these certain days. Mm -hmm. And I would also test it by leaving some of the days open for like a week or so. If nobody booked it, I would just cancel that out on the calendar. Mm -hmm. And so now I just created where, okay, I know on lesson days, I can only do lessons. I'm not going to be able to do recording. I'm not going to be able to do videos. By the time I get everything set up with the camera and the lights, I have to go into another lesson. So it's very tough. It's like a stop start. So I'll do now three very long days of lessons and then i am trying to have four days now and this is why i was so pissed about Wait, the glasses
2: you're an entrepreneur i thought that that means you just like sit around all day doing nothing
3: right my four days are like days off where i could just like yeah. go so to the beach there's one important
2: thing there you didn't say you have two more days to make content you have four days to make content meaning that you work I have on the no weekends days the off and so yeah. do i
3: Exactly. Everybody so, like, does. We all have to. Like you can't like yeah, so like maybe I'll get a day every other week where I can go with Carlos to the beach or whatever, yeah. you know? Like that's and that's great. You need to do that too. But it's not very often. When you, know?
2: you when you're there, do you feel like pressure or are you feeling like oh fuck? really like need to get back and do x or y
3: sometimes i do but i've also experienced burnout in my life and i have like i'm always anxious like i have constantly high functioning anxiety and um, i'm sure you can relate (laughs) that's like the content creator like "Ah!" (laughs) but um Like we're constantly on caffeine and like anxious, but um, at the same time, so I, I realized like if I don't do those things occasionally, that gets way compounded and then that stress is hard to manage and it is, it's even harder to create. So I have accepted those days more and I feel better about them. I don't feel as bad as I used to, but yeah, that's the thing. So I'm trying to have four days now and I literally just had like my first four day week. And that's why I was so pissed about the glasses. Cause
2: I was like, oh, it,
3: you know, so, but that's the thing. I mean, even if you do reality TV, they reshoot stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like you gotta be willing to do that. I could have been like, no, it's okay. But I'm up to like 80,000 subscribers. You can't, yep you can't just be like, yeah, that's okay. I'm going to put up this garbage where my eyes look crossed and it doesn't, I did a good job talking. It doesn't matter. The whole thing needs to be redone and that's just life. Yeah. So,
2: all right. Well, that sounds like a good place to leave it. Um, where can people find you if they're interested in watching your videos or booking a lesson or anything like that?
3: Um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. And I am on YouTube at voice hacks, youtube.com voice hacks by Mary Z is the address, but, google is the easiest way just even typing voice hacks in the google i think my videos are yep. the search searchable they come up right away and um there are links to my booking portal all over the place it's kind of a cumbersome link so usually i tell everybody just email me at voicehacks at gmail.com if you're interested in lessons um but most people i say watch my tutorials first go to youtube first because again what if you don't understand me what if i i don't make sense to you you know then i'm probably not your vocal coach so don't just go on the portal and sign up for a lesson Mm -hmm. you know uh i'm not trying to just take people's money you know if you if you don't feel like it's the right fit you'll be able to tell from my videos So go
2: watch your video if you like what you see then click the link in the description and book a lesson
3: yes thank you so much for having me on your podcast is great and i'm super stoked and i'm about to get mine going again too so excellent stuff
2: excellent cool well i will talk to you soon all
3: right have a good one man thanks
1: All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer.
0: Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com SoundTalentMedia.com Or on your favorite podcast app